Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Normandale Sermon Podcast. My name is Everett, one of the kid members here at Normandale. We hope that this sermon helps you take the next step in your walk towards Jesus, and if you feel inspired by what you hear, you can support the ongoing ministry of Normandale by going to normandale.org slash give. Thanks for listening to our sermon podcast. So turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, we're turning into a new semester for uh, just life with school starting back this week uh, for most people in here. Some started last week. And, and so uh, what I want to do as we're beginning this new leaf of life, this new, new semester, uh, I want to look for a couple weeks at Paul's first prayer in the book of Ephesians um, as a prayer for all of us together as we begin this new season. And so uh, that's where we're at. We're going to be Ephesians chapter 1, and I'm gonna, I'm, we're going to spend the bulk of our time with verses 15 and 16, uh, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back up and, and, and spend a little bit of time walking through verses 1 through 14, I mean uh, 3 through 14. Now, I read 3 through 14 at the beginning of the service, and, uh, but let's go ahead and look at 15 and 16. This is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. And so let's go before the Lord in prayer as we begin to open up his word together. As a Father, we come before you and we thank you so much for this moment that we have to come and open up your word. And so pray that you would speak to us, speak to our entire church family um, as to the great benefit, the great joy of being a church member. And so we love you, and we thank you for your grace and the grace of one another. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. And so this morning, what I want us to look at, I want us to look at two things, okay? So the first thing is the glory of the gospel, and the second thing is the product of the gospel. So the glory of the gospel and the product of the gospel in your life. And here's what the product is that Paul is going to talk about specifically here in this text, a loving church family. But before we get there, I want you to see the glory of the gospel. So back up to verse 3, and in this section, Paul is talking about, or he's explaining all the great blessings that come to you and me as a result of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so in this, what he's beginning to teach you and me is this. The gospel, or the message of the gospel, is bigger than simply you're a sinner, Jesus died and rose again, and now you believe in him to receive forgiveness. No, I'm not saying that you need to know more than that to be saved or that that is less than the gospel, but what I'm saying is the entire story of the gospel is more expansive than that. And because Paul here is he's saying, listen, the gospel is more than forgiveness alone. It's a good thing that you and I recognize that we are sinners and we need forgiveness, and Jesus Christ bought forgiveness for you and me through the death, his death and resurrection. That's a good thing for you and me to recognize, but that is not the sum of the gospel. It's more than that. And Paul here begins with this thing of teaching through these great blessings that come 
through Jesus. Everything is Jesus-centric. He's the one who initiates. He's the one who, who follows the plan. He enacts the plan. And then we, we receive blessings from God because we believe in Jesus. There's very little that you and I do. It's all about Jesus. And check this out. Here's what I want you to see. Look at this first part. Look at verse 4. No, verse 3. Blessed is the God and Father. This is a summary statement of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. Did you know that when you believed in Jesus, God blessed you with every spiritual blessing that was possible to give you? Every single one. Every spiritual blessing that had any possibility of coming to you was given to you at the moment that you heard the gospel and believed in the gospel. It was given to you. That's what Paul just said. Blessed is the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. That's what it says here. Okay, well, what are they? Well, Paul then begins to go and list them out for us. Look at verse 4. For he chose us in him. You know, the gospel didn't begin when Jesus was born. The gospel didn't begin when Jesus died on the cross and he rose again from the dead. The gospel doesn't begin there. Did you know that God's plan of redemption actually began before he actually created anything? It's a crazy thought. Like, he created the world knowing it was going to fall into sin, knowing already what his plan was going to be, and he already knew that you were going to be included in it. That's what it says. Look what it says. Verse 4, for he chose us in him. See, God has always had a plan. He's always had a plan. And if you believe, he says, you're part of it. Upon your belief, you enter into the community. And when you do that, it proves that you are always part of the plan. God chose us in Him. And what did He choose you to do? To be holy and blameless. When He created the world, people were created good. But what happened? We fell. We brought sinfulness upon ourselves. But God said from the very beginning, I'm going to create these people, I'm going to redeem these people, and I'm going to make them to be holy like I've always wanted them to be. From the very beginning of creation, He chose you in order to make you holy and blameless before him. That's amazing to me. But not only that, but he actually, as it says here, verse 5, predestined all of us, all of us who walk by faith. He chose from before he created anything that you and I would be adopted as his children. And so all of this is to say, blessing number one, is that you were chosen to be here, that you were part of God's plan from the very beginning. And so you're not an afterthought. You and I and our church are not just a byproduct. We're not just something that, like, God kind of accepted me, even though I was really bad, and I'm kind of, I'm in, but I'm on the periphery over here. Like, no, 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 no. What Paul is telling us is that if you're in, you are always meant to be there. Isn't that a great thought? It means there's no mistakes. It means you're not a mistake. 
And if you're seeking this, if you're seeking Jesus, if there's something in your life where you feel drawn and you're like, I'm checking this spiritual stuff out and I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm drawn to this, I'm not sure about it, what do you think that is? It's God saying, you're a part of the plan. You're a part of the plan. Come on. What I need you to do is believe. Believe that you're a part of the plan. And so that's what he's saying. So the first blessing is we are chosen in him. The second blessing is this. Look at verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. He said the first part is God has always had a plan from the beginning of creation, and all of us who walk by faith were a part of it. The second blessing is this, is that Jesus Christ carried out that plan. Jesus Christ carried out the plan that God had from the beginning of time through his death and resurrection. See, Jesus is carrying this stuff out. There was a plan created to restore all things. See, it's more than just to grant you forgiveness, but it's to bring reconciliation for all of creation back into God's original plan. That's what he does. And so number two was we're redeemed in him. First is chosen in him. Second is redeemed in him. The third one is this, verse 11. In him we've also received an inheritance. An inheritance. Who receives an inheritance? A kid. A child. Not a child. I mean, maybe a child, but your, your child. Your kids receive your inheritance. Or if you have received an inheritance, you received it from your parents, right? And what, John, what Paul is telling us here is that not only were you part of God's plan from the beginning... But then Jesus carried out God's plan from the beginning in order to bring all creation under the heading of God. The third thing that he does, he brings you into his family to grant you an inheritance with him. There's something awaiting you. You have been brought into God's family. You have a family. You have a place. You have a heritage to which you belong in heaven. That is a spiritual blessing for you, and one day it is going to be brought to you in fullness. And the fourth thing is this. You and I are secure with Him. You see, we're chosen by Him. We're redeemed in Him. We have an inheritance in Him, and now we are secure in Him. Look at, look at verse 13. In Him, you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You see, your salvation has not come to you in fullness. There are aspects of our salvation, our redemption in Jesus Christ, that is awaiting until the future when Jesus returns and we experience it in fullness. But you know what you have now? The Holy Spirit But the Holy Spirit was given to you as part of your salvation, but it was also given to you for a second reason, as a down payment, a down payment of the future salvation that is awaiting you. It is a guarantee. The Holy Spirit that you received when you believed in Jesus, when you heard the gospel and you believed it, the Holy Spirit came into your life, and that was God's down payment to you that he was going to guarantee he was going to bring the rest of it in fullness in the future. That's what it says. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed. Verse 14, the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance. See, when you get a loan, when you take out a mortgage or a car loan, 
you give your down payment. What is that? It's a promise that you're going to continue to pay the rest of everything. And God put himself in debt to us, saying, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. That is my down payment. I am guaranteeing that I'm going to bring the rest of your salvation and fullness in time. And so that's the fourth blessing. So we're chosen in him, we're redeemed by him, where you have an inheritance in him, and we're sealed by him. And that is this glorious gospel that Paul is talking about as he begins this prayer for us. That's why I was walking through this, because when did this come to us? When we, when we heard, when we saw, and when we heard. And so naturally, Paul ends this whole section in verse 14, where it naturally should end to the praise of His glory. You see, every bit of this is leading us to this one proper response. If God acts like that towards me, if He gives me these spiritual blessings for like, for me, even though I didn't do anything, I didn't deserve it, every bit of it was in Him, from Him, by Him, then naturally the only proper response for me and for all of us is to praise His glory because He is that benevolent toward you and me. That's where Paul ends that. And so, why do I tell you that? Well, because that's where Paul begins this. And so, what's left for you? What's left for us to do here? Believe it. Believe it. Believe that that's how God feels towards you. That's how God has acted towards you. It's to believe it. In verse 15, here's the second part. I told you I was going to rush through that first part because I want to spend the bulk of our time here in verse 15 and 16. And so that was the glory of the gospel. But what I want us to focus on here is the product of the gospel, the product of that entire process playing out in our lives. And here's verse 15. Here's what Paul says. This is why, meaning all of that gospel message is why, since I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. And so, when Paul turns this corner here to verse 15, he's, he's transitioning from thinking of all of Christians everywhere to thinking specifically about the Christians in Ephesus. And so, he turns here and he says, in light of this gospel message, I am deeply encouraged by what I hear about what's happening among you in your church. And so, Here's what Paul says, I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and of the love that you are having for all the saints. And so what he's saying is, this gospel message, this gospel message that all that God feels towards you, that he's accomplished for you through the cross, how he's brought you into his family, all of this gospel message has taken root in your hearts. You haven't left it with, okay, that's nice. I'm going to go back to work and just not worry about it anymore. Like, God accomplished that, and then now I guess I'm good, and I'm going to live my life however I desire to from this point on. He's like, no, no, no. You all heard that message, and you got dropped off where you needed to be dropped off in praising Him and loving Him in return. See, that gospel message took up root in your own hearts. You all believed it, you accepted it, and now it's bearing fruit among you. It's bearing fruit among you. He said, that gospel message has changed your hearts 
The Holy Spirit coming in has changed your hearts and led you to develop these fruit that come only as a result of believing in the gospel. He says you're growing in Christian maturity. That's what he's saying. And there's a principle here that, that the gospel, the truth of the gospel, goes to work in the lives of those who truly believe it, right? Like when you believe in the gospel, the principle is that if you really believe, it's going to change you. It's going to do something different in your life. It's a transforming message, right? Like if you say like, that like, oh, I kind of believe something, I kind of believe, let's, let's come up with an example. Like I kind of, like, uh, no, never mind, forget about it. Gonna, I was going to come up with a dumb example. I'm like, no, I'm not going to come up with a dumb example today. If you believe in the God, if you say you truly believe something, then what's it going to do? It's going to change you. You're going to live differently in light of it. And that's what Paul is saying here. And so, the Spirit of God teaches you and applies to you the truth of the gospel that changes how you view your world. It's going to give you cares that you previously didn't care about. It's going to give you concerns about the world you previously didn't care about. It's going to give you ethics that you previously didn't hold. So I remember uh, one, when I was in high school, I remember just uh, I was in a chemistry class one time. And we had the, back when you had these TI-85, 89, 84, some of the calculators, you know, the, the graphing calculators, some of the Texas Instruments something. And, uh, and there was a kid in the chemistry class who... Uh, taught me and someone else taught them, I don't know who, that you could store information in those calculators. And so I would store, I got a previous test this teacher gave, and I stored the answers in the calculator. And so during the test, I just pulled up the notes section on that calculator and found all the answers and wrote the answers on the test from the calculator. And uh, man, I, I did really well on the test, by the way. And later on, Someone got found out, and so the teacher was, like, checking everyone's calculators during the test, and I deleted mine real quick before she got to me, so I didn't, I didn't get in trouble. But then the person who did get in trouble pointed out that I was part of the plot, and so I got in trouble for that. And uh, at the time, I was, like, just thinking, I just want to pass this chemistry test. But you know what happened is it plagued me. Like, this is, a, you know, you may think it's not that big of a deal. It plagued me for years that, like, I did that. And so, so a couple of years later, I guess I was 14, 15, 16, something like that when I did that. And, but several years later, I meaning like, like five or eight years later, I found that teacher on Facebook, and I just said, hey, I just wanted to tell you that I did this, and I'm very sorry that I did that in your class. And, and the question is, is who does that? Like, who, like for real, like, like, who does that? Like, you think, like, I cheat on a test and just move on. Like, you're, live your life, right? But it, it was in my mind, the back of my head, for years. And finally, I just needed to admit it to her, apologize to her, and move on. And, and what I'm getting at is this. Why was that happening? It was the Holy Spirit saying, this is in your heart, this is something you've done, you need to confess it, you need to ask for forgiveness, and then you need to move on from it. How does that happen? It's the Spirit of God at work. It's the gospel comes into your life, and it changes you, gives you ethics that are different than you previously had. It gives you concerns that you previously never would have had. 
It gives you, gives you like thoughts or cares that you previously never would have had. And it was that playing out in my life of like this transforming message of the gospel leading me to do things that are weird. But I felt like God was wanting me to do it. Now, how does this happen or why? Well, you and I previously existed independently from God. When we're born, we're born into sin. And we think that we can exist on our own, that we can live like by our own, own volition, our own thoughts, our own wisdom, apart from a holy God. But now, as people who have heard the gospel and have believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have been brought into Him, brought near to Him by the blood of Jesus Christ. And what do we gain? We gain His heart. We gain His family. We gain His concerns. We gain His wisdom. And, and for Paul, when he's talking to these Ephesians, it's, he's known them, but for five or six years, he hasn't seen them. He's been far away. And you, can't, you don't have, like, you can't text him and say, hey, man, how's it going? You just have to get letters periodically to get updates on how these people are doing. And, and, and since he's last seen them, he's received updates on how they're doing spiritually, how this church is doing spiritually, and he's been deeply concerned, I mean, uh, deeply encouraged by what he's heard about them. Because ever since he has left, they have been growing, being transformed, being shaped by this gospel that has come among them. And so, what does he say? He says, in light of this gospel message, I've heard of your faith in Jesus, and I've heard of the love that you've got for one another, and I'm giving thanks for this all the time. And so, in this, Paul tells us what his product, what he's wanting to emphasize here, the product of this gospel among this community of Christians is. You see, we saw the glory of the gospel. Next, we're seeing the, the, the product of the gospel, and here's what he's talking about. A loving church family. A loving church family. That's the product of the gospel. You see, the gospel doesn't exist for you alone. As though it's Jesus died for you to give you forgiveness, and now you can follow Jesus, and you can, like, you can live for Him, and you can change the world. Like, no, no, no. It's not about you specifically. It's about all of us together. You and I need each other. And what, G, what Paul is saying here is what the gospel has done among all of you. I've heard of your faith, your collective faith in Jesus, and I've heard of your love for all the saints. What he's meaning is, I have heard about how you all have developed, because of your faith in Jesus, a loving church family together, where you're building one another up in love, in encouragement, where it is a life-giving, reciprocal community together, where you are meeting consistently, meeting needs consistently, where you are enjoying being with one another. You're having game nights together. You're having picnics in 105 degrees together. You're doing these things together, and I'm hearing about how your community together is flourishing, and I love that, and I'm giving thanks for that. You see, you and I can go to a church. We can form this church through the Regenesis program and have the greatest strategy ever, the greatest missions emphasis ever, the greatest preaching ever, the greatest music or musicians ever, the greatest children's programs ever. 
We can have all of these awesome things. But if we exist and do all of these things with a business mindset and do not possess love for one another, then it doesn't amount to anything. It doesn't amount to anything. Because here's the thing. You go to your business because you get paid to be there. You come here because there's love. Listen, this is what Paul's ideal. Paul wrote about this uh, in the book of, uh, book of 1 Corinthians. Now, I want to explain or just read it to you real quick. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And this is a passage that is traditionally read at weddings where Paul is describing what love is. But what Paul really, when he was talking about this, he was talking about a church family. He's talking about what life was like inside of a church family. And he says this, if I speak in human or angelic tongues, it means if I preach really, really well, but I don't have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and I understand all the mysteries and all the knowledge, I have super discernment, and I can stand on the stage and speak into your lives with perfection, but I don't have love. And if I have all the faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all of my possessions and I give over my body in order to boast, but I don't have love, then I gain nothing. See, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It is not boastful. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not irritable. This one's a big one. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And the question is, does that define Normandale? Does that define our church family? And far from me, like I, I, am, I am not in any way about to launch into a, any way about how our church does not live according to this. That's, that's actually the opposite of what I want to do. But the thing is, is as you and I give of ourselves over to one another, and we keep showing up week in, week out with one another, what Paul is saying is, this is what the community is meant to look like. This is what I want you to develop among yourselves. And this is what the Ephesians had built among their church in Ephesus. It was a community built upon love for one another, not on growth track growth tactics, right? It was built on mutual, self-giving love for one another. And this is our ideal, the goal. This is the goal for us, that this would be what defines Normandale, that we would grow in love together as we all give of ourselves more and more and more. And here's the thing. This is not an abstract or a flowery thought, like, and I really mean that. This is not abstract. You see, this is what the church is meant to be. And I, I've been thinking a lot recently uh, about this. I've, I've had multiple conversations with Brent and with Jared and, and, and with Justin and with some other guys uh, where I've been thinking a lot about the great joy and the great benefit of being part of this local church is. Like I, view, uh, I, I know that I'm the pastor, a pastor here, but I view myself as a church member with one of you. Uh, and, uh, and I try to hold myself in that way, too, to where, like, if, you, if I walk in the room, you don't stop cussing real quick, you know? I don't want to be that guy. 
but it just drives me crazy. Like, I'm not the holy man, you know? But I, uh, I've been thinking a lot about the, the great joy of, of being a, a, a church member with all of you. And, and like, I, I think about those who don't exist as part of a church family or don't have a care for it, um, or those who move to a new city and don't try to go find a new church home. Um, and it makes me sad, really, to think about it. Like, how many fewer people are you going to invite to your birthday party, <laughs> your kids' birthday? You know, like, or, you know, but like, also, like, if you move somewhere, like, how, how on earth do you make friends? Or, like, how do you find people to hang out with or, or people to invite over? And, like, I would imagine, like, like, you know, you're not alone in feeling lonely, um, but I would imagine there are a lot of people who feel a lot more lonely than you do. And I don't know, I just, I, I, I've been really thinking a lot about how great it is to be here week in and week out. You think like some Sundays, you're like, oh, I just don't want to go. I just need another day for the weekend. But like, but there's great benefit to just keep showing up. Like consider in your own life, if you weren't here, how many hugs from Ronnie you would have missed out on, you know? Or consider in your own life, like how many, how many mission experiences or trip experiences or people you've gotten to know through going on a mission trip that you ordinarily would have never, never gotten in contact with, right? Or how many funny stories you have from youth camp or from kids camp or from mission trip, from going to Mexico or from doing D-Now or, or whatever. Like how many funny stories do you have or memories that you have that you built from just showing up and being a part of the church family that you look back on and you're so fond of, right? Or think of how many meal trains you've been a part of that you got to contribute to or you got to receive because you're a part of the church family. Or think of, like, think of how many times like, you've, had to, you've been able to like, like commiserate, is that the right word? Like, where you've gotten to talk with other parents over like, kids' struggles, and like, they understood what you're saying, but they weren't judging you about it, you know? And you get to be in there together and talk about this in like, a routine way, week in and week out, not just like a one-off thing with someone at work. It's built into your schedule. Wednesday night, I'm going to be there, and I can talk to them about this, right? Or, like, think of this. Think of how many game nights you've had just with people built into your community right here at Normandale. Or, or think of this. Like, like, how many times have you grown in your faith because you had contact with someone else in this church family? You were meeting, meeting in a D group or through your life group or you just got breakfast with men at, at Westside Cafe, and you grew in your faith together at the Old Man Club, Right? Like that, ha- like, that happens. Why? Because of your community here. Because you're a part of a loving community here at Normandale. I, I, uh, another, I've got a couple more. Because I, I think it's good encouraging and lifting this up. How many times have you been able to develop a gift with grace here? Maybe you're not the best singer in the world, but you have an opportunity to sing, you know? And if we need to, we can turn your mic down just a little bit to where you don't know. You know, like, it's fine. But you're a part of the family here, Right? I'm not talking about you, Rick. <laughs> Lord, like, think of how many sermons that I've given that are not home runs. But it's okay, because we're a church family. Or how many speakers have we had that are not going to be invited to the next conference? That's okay. We're a church family. We do it together, and we come up here out of love to speak from the Word of God, Right? Because we're a community of faith built upon the gospel of Jesus Christ, built around love for one another. Look, these have real examples here. 
how many people have you had come in contact with through Normandale that in your real life, ordinary, real life, your ordinary life outside of church, you would have never had any contact with? So I had, many of you know, I had, had to have stitches in my heel uh, about a month ago. And, uh, and I went to Care Now originally, uh, and they put the, the stitches in, but I was like, I don't want to pay 50 bucks to have them take stitches out again. And uh, the lovely LaFrida Ray was like, well, I can do it for you. Sweet. And LaFrida's awesome, okay? She was a surgical tech for like 30 years or something like that, like the right-hand man of, a, of a, 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 a cosmetic surgeon. And so she met me up here in the kitchen and took my stitches out for me. And like, how awesome is that? Where else are you going to find that kind of love, right? No, no, I'm not saying, like, she's not your new surgeon. Don't go, I mean, I mean, if she, if she loves you, she might, but I don't know. But, like, where else are you going to find that kind of a community built in to where you have people there to support you, to help you, to be there with you, right? And it's like, I'm thinking of, like, Casey. Like, I meet with Casey and Brent on, on Thursday mornings, and, like, they're going to love that guy. Not that I didn't beforehand, but, like, I love meeting on Thursdays with them and just like being there week in and week out and just talking about our lives, talking about the Bible, talking about stuff like, and it's, it's wonderful just being a part of the community of God. And that's what Paul is getting at here in Ephesians. And he says this, this is why since I've heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. See, Paul is getting at it. And I didn't mean to leave anyone out. I've got relationships with a lot of people. I'm not trying to leave people out. But, but all of this idea of this, the product of the gospel is love among the people of God, building a community together based out of love and our shared faith in Jesus Christ is something that Paul thinks about. And what does it lead him to do? Give thanks to God. Give thanks to God. And now, why do we begin here for this semester? I think this is a really important, some important message for you and me as we are beginning a new semester together to re-emphasize and to just restate, because this is not a message that's just commonly, like often when you think about church, you're like, oh, i got to go to church. Like, no, no, no. Just stop and think about how wonderful it is to be part of a church. And and as we're beginning a semester, we're, we're reforming our routines for the new school year. It's a good thing for us to hear from Paul about how wonderful it is to make sure that being a part of your church family is a central part of your family's routine. And so as we, be, as we finish up here, not banned just yet, I want us to end where Paul ends in giving thanks. And so we didn't do a prayer time at the beginning, but I want to do it right now. And I'm just going to give you just a moment. If you'll bow your head, I'm going to give you a prayer prompt, and I just want you to have a moment to give thanks. And so, in light of how Paul gives thanks, I want you to consider 
What a great joy. I want you to come up with three concrete reasons to give thanks for your church family and express those to God. 